Meb Kaflesky, welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thanks, Mario. Thanks for having me. So I've lost count of how many times I've interviewed you over the past 12 years, but safe to say it's been a lot. And it's been it's been really, you know, an honor for me to watch you throughout your career and how it's progressed and how you've interacted with your fans. And it's one thing that's always stood out to me, especially in the past few years, is that you are a role model to so many people. And one question I've always wanted to ask you, um, and I'm going to lead off with it because I don't want to forget, is who is your role model? Who? Um, that's a deep question. And my role model has been my parents uh, who gave up everything they had or trying to have a better future for their kids. And uh, it's not always guaranteed it's going to pay off. But, uh, you know, from humble beginning of Eritrea, they work together hand in hand as a team to be able to do the best they can while my dad escaped from Eritrea to Sudan and five years of separation, but they have good commitment to each other. And as a life, that's uh, for me my real role models, obviously. And uh, in terms of athletics, I always looked up to Heidegger Versalasse and Paul Turgard as the distance runners. I mean, they were so dominant in the world. Uh, I just wanted to be the Heidegger Versalasse that is to the world. I want to be to the, to the United States. For me, was see if I can be a 5K, 10K marathon in the scene to be able to just make a big impact. And uh, hopefully I have achieved that at the U.S. level, but can never do what he done at the world level. And do you recognize your position as a role model as it relates to the running world and the people that you've impacted, not only through your racing, but everything that you've done around it? Oh, I, I'm honored and I embrace it completely. And it goes with a, it's an honor, but also it has a big responsibility. You know, you got to keep your eyes and goals on the target and because there's so many with social media that can go wrong but i try to handle myself as a champion as a role model and for me when people ask for autograph or want to be able to meet me is i take that as a pedestal to an honor you know not be some people oh we don't want to bother you know it's never a bother it's this uh, uh an honor to be able to people want to take a picture with you and things like that so and i looked up to you know, like jim ryan from the united states be able to you know or Bert rogers uh, Jumbo Noid and how they handle themselves over the years to be able to just be, hey, I want to be like that one day. And, you know, it's been an awesome ride. But uh, no, it's for me is, you know, it's a responsibility. But I hope I, anybody that comes in contact with me or have some moment with me, I want them to have a positive experience. And, uh, you know, when you're meeting at the expo, people left and right is, is tough. Uh, but at the same time, is uh, generally, uh, an honor to be able to just say, uh, people look up to you. All right, let's go back in time a little bit. I don't know if you remember this, but the first time I interviewed you was back in 2006 before you ran your first Boston Marathon. And I want to revisit the last question that I asked you in that conversation and compare your answers 12 years later. And this was the question. At the time I asked you, you still have a lot that you want to accomplish in your running career, but what does life post-running hold for Meb Kaflesky? So now that we are uh, post-running for Meb Kaflesky, what does life hold for you? Well, I think I have to say 12 years ago versus now, uh, all my dreams have, in terms of running, have been accomplished and I can have had that with the support that I have on my team and, you know, 
at that time, probably when you told me, I was just uh, a year, uh, a little over a year, been married to Jordan as my wife, who helps me dearly, and Howie as my manager, and Bob Larson as my mentor, and many other pacers and route. Uh, you know, life, is, I try to be in the moment. You know, when I, you probably ask me that, hey, I would like to win Boston and to have that accomplished now, and very late in my career, but if I was the fittest person for Boston, uh, was that year. It wasn't 2010, it wasn't 2015 or 2014, but, you know, sometimes it, ha- it doesn't happen when you want it or when you have the desire, but if you keep your dream alive, uh, it can happen on God's time. And for me, that's to come back and not that we want 2013 to happen, but to happen, uh, to happen, be, in, be able to win that after the catastrophic moment of 2013 is a blessing. And now life is it's good and and I'm blessed to have three daughters who, who I love dearly and you know uh, you know try to spend more time with them now as much as I can and and also still be impactful in terms of uh, in the running community you know uh, you know to be able to visit and meet and greet and put a, people cherish that people put in a medal and people on the finish line and they they just want to they want to get them they like to get the medal but if I'm there and they rather get it from me so they people have framed pictures and things like that so my life been completely uh, satisfying in many ways and I'm just honored to be able to uh, you know still look forward to you know as a forty soon to be forty three look uh, you know and look back to say oh well was I twelve years ago you know you, as a distance runner you always measured. Uh, have you participated in the Boston Marathon? And at that time, I was excited to participate and, <laughs> and finish third. And I said that was good enough to tell the general public, hey, I run Boston, I finished third. And 12 years later, you can say I have won the Boston Marathon and wore the bib number one. So well, what a journey it has been. So your answer is pretty consistent with the one that you gave me 12 <laughs> years ago. So you passed that test. Um, uh, you know, Mario, I, I hope to be, you know, Nothing changes. I, you know, we do learn from our mistakes, but uh, as a person, hopefully, you know, my teammate from high school or college is still say the same thing. And I, that's my goal. Uh, my time it demands it changes and we evolve as, as learning experience by the person that I am. Hopefully it hasn't changed. Just like the journey 26.2 miles, wherever you go, it's going to be 26.2 miles and your time as a runner should be pretty equivalent, maybe plus or minus one or two minutes. But other than that, you shouldn't be within target. And uh, thanks for the compliment on that regard. Um, I'm not done with that answer yet because there's one part <laughs> that I want to pull out of it that I don't know if you even remember giving me this part of the answer, but I'll I'll just read back what you said to me then. I also have a desire to become a financial advisor for a bank sometime down the road as one of my future possibilities. After all, being a marathon runner does take some patience. So does investment and financial planning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> considering considering where you are now, um, any desire to still be a financial advisor um, or or no? <laughs> no, I would love to. I mean, uh, I've been very fortunate to be married to Jordano, so that's her area uh, as a finance, finance is what she studied, but she handles all our uh, finance. And uh, but I still have the desire to be savvy businessman and. Uh, uh, and financial, just because you know you want to be able to have real estate, you want to diversify as much as you can. And you know, I have given advice, whether it's Bank of America or John Hancock or other things. When people ask you those things, but not, I didn't have the paper certification for getting it. I thought about it, but at the same time, you want to be able to 
you know, surround yourself with good people, and uh, I would love to be able to go into that route sometimes. But you know, that's uh, interesting that I said that at that time. But I mean, it's in the book Run to Overcome as well that I, right. I was a goal-oriented person, whether it was to invest in property or to invest in uh, financially. And I try to be, you know, athletics doesn't always pay off, but at the same time, if I, I'm in a pedestal where I can give people some tips and and financial is, uh, is one of them. Let's talk about the business side of the sport for a minute. Aside from running fast, what do runners need to do to make themselves attractive to sponsors? And how has that aspect of what you do evolved over the past 10 years? Well, you know, to be able to uh, be yourself is the biggest thing I can say. I mean, yeah, you want to win races, and but at the same time, you want to be a complete persona. You know, for, you know, I looked at Haile Gabrassi last year, Haile Gabrassi ran world record, but also he was very marketable because that smile, everybody can relate, you know, that smile at the beginning of the race and at the end of the race. And for me, it's just trying to get the best out of yourself to the, in terms of athletic, but be who you want to be and generally caring about others and uh, pushing the envelopes. But at the same time, you know, you want to be able to, when you meet people, you know, give them a high five or ask them how their run was, what, what was their goals. And if you can tell that, people are generally going to be, no, hey, uh, I know it was great. You took interest in me and that's what you want to do. And you want to be a complete package, not just, you know, a race. Did you recognize that from the outset of your career or is that a switch that flipped after uh, you didn't re-sign with Nike in 2010? No, I, I believe I was always that person, you know, when I was out with UCLA, uh, with not only my teammates or uh, classmates, but always when I, I love meeting people. That's, <laughs> that's, uh, one of my, I guess you can call it hobby or God given talent that, uh, I don't, I'm not sharing away, maybe because of the diverse, uh, difficulties that I had, able to meet people and say, Hey, hello. And what they on the flight or they are on a train and all that stuff. I always, always been hopefully open and approachable. No matter what, and I remember Coach Bob Larson tell me when I was a freshman at UCLA, just meeting some people at the track and say, "Hey, you have this gift for people." And you know, and you know, after Nike, I told them that a long time ago that I would love to be able to post run and to be able to do tours. I mean, especially the grassroots uh, touring from San Diego all the way to San Francisco Bay Area. I spent a week just meeting and greeting high schoolers, and I think is you know not because. I want attention, but to be able to give tips and be able to give them because you've been there yourself. I mean, I always enjoyed when I've met high profile athletes uh, to be able to give you tips or because they've done and have done those things. And it was an idea that I wanted to share with. And now that you're retired and not necessarily making your living by racing, um, but you, you are still associated with sponsors. How do you you know, how do you continue to make a living as, as Meb Kofleski? Well, I think <laughs> sometimes I have to pinch myself. Uh, people want to hear me speak, which when I first came here in the United States in 1987, 30 years ago, I had not know word of English. And, uh, you know, you have to learn through the, I did my time, you know, getting up at 4.30 in the morning when my dad woke us up to learn English. And he never knew what was going to be. Uh, use in your life uh, besides getting, you know, getting good grades. But now people ask me, you know, 
two hours of the Skechers uh, LA Marathon this weekend, and people waited two hours to get autographs and uh, to be able to meet nonstop. And people say, are you a hand style always? No, because when I was, you know, writing uh, my hand papers for the, before I could afford a computer and a com- have to go handwrite it and go to the computer lab and all those things, I said, no, it's not. But uh, to be able to go to different road races and be able to speak uh, motivational speaking or meet and greet and go to the VIP dinners and be able to, you know, uh, work that way. It's not work for me. It's what I always have done, but to be able to earn money that way is pretty, pretty incredible. I have to pinch myself. Sometimes uh, it's really happening. You know, you're going to sometimes have gone to Capitol Hills to give advice on athletics and fitness and things like that. So, and to be invited to the, White House with Obama's have dinner. I mean, <laughs> you know, for a little guy for from Eritrea, uh, is you know, it's mind blowing. But at the same time, uh, I've been blessed uh, through the God-given talent to be able to run. But I wasn't always the talented guy in the field. But uh, I somehow managed to be able to get to that front line of the, the you know, the mo- most key race at the Olympic Games uh, in 2004, getting silver and then winning New York, and then. Uh, 2014 Boston Marathon was huge. That keep escalating my uh, visibility or kind of going behind the TV screen to see how people fit in there and be able to be on commercials and, you know, uh, and people want to be able to meet you because they saw you on TV and things like that. It's a it's pretty cool gig and I've been blessed with that and I hope to continue to be able to inspire others and touch people's life. Uh, you know, I still do a lot with the MEF Foundation, maintaining some health, health, education and fitness, but at the same time, you want to be able to give back uh, to the sport that I have given so much, also to the people who support me over the years, you know, uh, cheer me from far away. But I, anytime I see person run, I always get, oh, that's cool. You know, that's, you know, I, I used to joke around, people say, welcome to my office. My office always been in the different sites and different mileage and sceneries. But uh, now I, I'm, I'm loving to be able to go back to different road races, some, some repetitive road races, but uh, others that are first time they've been meeting me, like the you know, Vermont City Marathon, or I'm going to Cleveland, Tennessee this year, this weekend for a 5K. So it doesn't matter the distance, and I've been very fortunate to be able to have won those. But uh, people just want to associate with somebody who's a, the role model, and I take that job seriously. Have you ever thought about getting into coaching? Have I thought about getting into the coaching? I absolutely have thought that. I mean, I started with my first coaching job was at the San Diego City College. Uh, to, with Paul Greer to be able to come back. Oh, you know, I was going to say a couple of weeks after the 2000 Olympic Sydney, but the cross country already has started and I had to come my trips uh, after Sydney short and come coach at San Diego City College. But at that point, I said, you know, after that season finished, I said, what I really want to do, you know, do I want to keep coaching on the side and you might have to give up my uh, running sacrifices. But at the same time, uh, uh, you know, it's an interest of mine. I mean, especially as uh, our daughter Sarah Fiore and Johanna getting into it, you know, uh, I wouldn't, I don't want the high school to be honest. I'm not going to lie, you know, but college and uh, um, coaching half marathon, marathon for people on, uh, it would be a huge interest of mine. And uh, maybe when the girls get interested in one more, maybe help them out. Your own coach, Bob Larson has been working with you since you were in college at UCLA. So, I mean, that, relationship from a coach athlete perspective spanned over 20 years talk a bit about the influence that he had not only on your athletic career but your life in general 
mom, I mean, Coach Bob Larson has been a second father to me, you know, over the years since uh, 1994. He's been there for me for well, not only athletics, but academically and also socially. And, you know, we've been roommates. We've been student athletes. You know, we've done a lot of things together. And he has helped me on the financial aspect of uh, where to invest in terms of properties and things like that. You know, when I first brought my mammoth house, you know, I showed him and made sure it was... Bob Larson approved because <laughs> he's pretty savvy in that regard himself as well. But, you know, that's, those times we spent together has been awesome and be able to, uh, you know, uh, mentor me for even though sometimes I do my own coaching. He's been a great mentor and continue to be uh, just life in general. So it's been a journey that, uh, you know, a lot more longer than marriage has lasted for many people. So um 23, 23 years and counting still. So as we know each other pretty well, respect each other and uh, try to do the best human being that we can be. Throughout your career, you would go away to Mammoth for months at a time to train for a marathon, you know, away from your family who certainly supported your pursuits, but that's not easy. And just marathon training on its own, uh, especially when you're flying solo is not easy, but you were never solo. You had Coach Larson, you've had various other people supporting you in terms of, you know, body work or pacing you, you know, on a bike. Um, you had support of your family back home, even when you weren't there with them. Um, just talk a little bit about how important having that support network is as a runner. I think as, as a runner, you know, we might run the miles, but there's so many deep uh, people supporting us behind the scenes. And as you said, you know, whether it's from Coach Larson to your down to Howie and, with pacers and the sponsors and you know, the sponsors also, you know, they're behind you because then when you put the mileage, you have a purpose for running. It's not just paycheck to paycheck, but at the same time, you know, they count on you, you know, you can say, you know, not do as much as you like, but when so many people have invested in you, you don't want to disappoint them. So it's a big pressure at the same time, but also a relief that you can delegate which job should needs to be done by whom, uh, my good friend, Suresh, uh, uh, from Mammoth always says, you know, you are like a CEO. You just delegate people to how to do and what to do. And, and at the end of the day, you deliver, you know, but at the same time, you just got to count on your team. And we're never alone by ourselves. You know, um, you know, uh, I enjoyed my time when I was with uh, Run USA with Dina, my caster, myself and, and Joby Hill and Bob Larson and trying to be supportive of each other. And you hope that they take your, uh, the next level for you as a, step in stone because you know we're not going to be the champions that we were at the time and forever but you hope that you know you pass on the baton to somebody who's better and who can help you be uh represent who you can cheer for um and with the mommy track club the same thing so you know it's been fun but at the same time uh, you know you just try to do the best you can and you know cherish those moments because you know it's like going to college you know you meet your friends and teammates and then uh, unless you get connected again, it's kind of, you can't go back in the time. So uh, I pride myself and take a bit in the moment and try to do the right things and keep going forward. And uh, so the so support of the team, you know, just like a race, we might come and compete, but, you know, from the volunteers, from the sponsors, from all the people that are there to help you have a positive experience. And then you can't leave away, say, hey, I ran, I completed my marathon journey or half marathon, but we ran at 26.2, but the depth of work that comes into it is huge. And, you know, uh, I might have run, oh, I think it's about 120 or 120,000 miles. But if still the way people have uh, cheered for me and supported me so I could uh, excel my running 
Uh, you have run to me, whether you have contributed to my success uh, or positive, or sometimes some things might have been negative or learn from other people what to do, what not to do. So those are the moments that you want to you cherish. Let's start looking back at your career a little bit. You raced your 26th and final marathon last November in New York. What were you feeling the next morning when you woke up and realized that you didn't have another marathon buildup in front of you? I mean, to have done uh, 26 marathons uh, after my first in New York 2002, I said first and last, I never want to do it again. But, you know, you overcome, thank God for sure, memories. But after completing my 26th and final marathon in New York, it was great because every since 2002 or ever since I started running in high school, you always had to go. You got to get the next, you got to take a week off and get ready for the next one. Or in college, you take the indoor season off and then you get ready for the outdoor season or cross country season. It was always go, go, go. And then after becoming a marathoner for 15 years, it's like, okay, fall, spring, fall, spring, marathon, marathon. And to wake up the, you know, in New York in the 2017 after I completed, I mean, I was depleted and done and finished. It was a difficult marathon for me, but uh, to wake up and the next day and say, you know what? I'm happy. I don't have to plan for another goal, another marathon. I can take a whole month or two months off, but and not worry about it. But unfortunately, uh, I mean, I ran three days later. Just, <laughs> uh, but not to train for anything. Just it was just because I, even though I was depleted from all that, I gave it all that I had that day. My body didn't get beat up because I stopped like five, six times. So it didn't, it didn't maximize my potential that day. But at the same time, yeah. Uh, you know, you think not that you want to set a goal for a spring marathon or full marathon and things like that. So relief and say, you know what? I could run at my own leisure if I need to, or, you know, I don't have to wake up, set an alarm for 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the morning anymore. And, you know, it's a blessing, in fact, because, you know, with all the injuries, all the obstacles that I have encountered over the years, uh, I was just glad to be done. And I want to touch on those injuries here in a little bit. But for those last two marathons that you ran, Boston and New York, 25 and 26, was it hard for you to to kind of like get up to train for those things and and get excited and wake up every morning and go through the same process that you'd gone through, you know, 24, 25 times previously? At that point, were you were you ready to be done or was your mindset the same as it was for all your prior marathons? Not for you know, for the Olympics in 2016 and Boston 2017 and New York 2017, my last three marathons, I I got every day would train hard. It wasn't hard at all by any means, but I was burnt out, not physically, but mentally. Uh, I just, I just, <laughs> I was done. And those three marathons to this day, maybe New York was a little close to satisfaction, but they both, three of them did not go the way I planned them, the way I trained. And, and I worked very, very hard for three of them because, you know, uh, you know, Rio, just because it was my last Olympics, uh, in fact, going in, I was pretty confident that I could potentially fight for bronze, you know, and Boston, I think, I think Boston was, you know, all of them went seamless in terms of training. I didn't have a lot of setbacks. I think whenever you have setbacks, you kind of hesitate how you're going to do, but I was pretty confident, but for whatever reason, both of them, Rio and Boston, I think. Boston was at 12 miles and Rio was at 13, a little half past halfway 
that I started having issues. Uh, even though I didn't stop Boston, Boston just my leg just gave up on me. And uh, New York, I mean, I gave it all that I had. I had about 33 appearances, and still the training was really well. And I was looking for, I want to leave it on top. I don't want to be, you know, <laughs> just put it up there. And uh, I gave it all that I had. But I think the training mentally is just like go, 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 go. And I don't know how to take vacation. I really didn't grow up taking vacation. We were so poor by any means. So I can count probably two, three times, four times that I really took vacation. You know, uh, I probably needed that uh, to rejuvenate me a little bit. But no, I love training. I think if you are a marathoner, if you don't love training, then there's some serious issues or you're not doing things right. <laughs> because the training itself is what makes uh, the progress, the depth, the recovery, the, the uh, you know, gets you the journey. You can't just say, oh, one day I'm going to go and do a marathon. If you don't enjoy the the long run or the tempo or just getting up day in, day out, you're not going to do well. So that's what have carried me through, and that's what got me to the finish line on those races as well, even though it didn't go the way I planned it. But at the same time, it was a relief to just say, hey, you know what, well, I've been competitive for 27 years. I'm ready to move to the next chapter. And, you know, I don't have to, not that, not, I don't mind to this day. I still run. I still love running. It's just, uh, I don't want to overly done. And I, now that I took some time off, I kind of get more rejuvenated even to be able to say, hey, I can still enjoy running. But it was more of a mental thing for me, just so many appearances and all those things. You touched on injuries and, You've had a few devastating ones throughout your career, the worst of which probably happened at the Olympic trials in New York, November 2007, Central Park, when you fractured your hip, you essentially limped to the finish line, um, and you were you were kind of down for the count after that. What did you learn from that experience specifically, and how did it impact the final 10 years of your career? Well, the 2000. Eight trials, which was held in November of of seven. I was the fittest I ever been. My weight was so down. I, I I wanted so bad to win my first marathon and getting third in Boston 2016 and third in New York 2005, uh, 2006. That is Boston third and 2005 third in New York. Boston, I mean, all of the games, second place. I'm like, come on, I'm due for a victory here, you know, and I was hoping to go to Beijing and try to win another medal or at least attempt to go for gold. Uh, but, you know, I had a, such a fabulous summer, fastest summer, fastest summer I had on the roads. And I'm running under 28 minutes uh, for a 10K and just I kept that weight. For that long, from like end of June, end of July, all the way to November. And what I learned from that is, is I worked hard, but it's not all about hard work. You have to be smart. You have to recover. You have to, even with your ways, you have to fluctuate, you know, train hard. And then once the season's over, take a break. And uh, I was excited to have, try to have my first victory. And I was fit as I could be, fit as at the same time. Uh, I didn't fall anything. Just, I think my calcium deficiency and uh, vitamin D was way under and i didn't realize i had pelvis refraction until 10 10 weeks later because of the, you know what happened he puts life in perspective one of my good friend training partner former training partner ryan she passed away and they're like okay the olympics is not a big deal now his life is more precious so but i couldn't walk i couldn't stand up i was on my knees and i was both crawling like a 10 month old baby and uh, to go to places so that kind of put life in perspective and when i saw once i recover after a basically a year and a half uh Make sure you don't take things for granted. Even when you go for a run, you kind of hold 
you hold those goals and say, hey, I'm, I'm happy just to be running versus winning or running a personal best and things like that. But, uh, you know, you, our body screams at us sometimes. But runners, we are type one personality. We want to go, 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 go. And if you, if you touch your Achilles, your knees or your hamstring, your mind is and body is not on the same page. It's good to take time. One day off, you know, one could have one day off or two days off or a week off could have done, changed my life, becoming another Olympian, maybe another medal. But I didn't listen to my body as I should have. Did you ever consider calling it quits at that point? Almost oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. Even my wife, Yordana, said that. It's like I was, she saw me crawling on the floor because I can't stand up. I didn't know what was wrong with me. People think it was just a course, but I know some serious stuff was going with me. And she says, no, they can't see it this way. And I remember that's that on uh, December holidays, I was in San Jose talking to my brothers that uh, the time has come that I should quit and, and I should retire and make a life changing uh, to different things. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, I contemplated it many times to re, to retire and uh, but you know you know i and then at the same time though i knew down deep that inner inner strength that i had more in the tank left uh, to be able to run a personal best because what finishing eighth at the trials was not my best that day i knew there was more that I have accomplished it just didn't go that day and so that kept me going i tell uh, howie and uh, my brother and your daughter's my wife i said i guess new york city marathon would be my olympics i can't wait another four years and you know, i need to set a new goal and to be able to win it in 2009 that that was my personal olympics and i'm such a grateful wearing that usa jersey and winning my my first victory which were started in new york uh, my first marathon as well and you had some of your best years after um, those disappointing trials. I mean, you won New York, you won Boston, you won the Olympic trials, you went to the games again. Um, you know, you did some of your best running at, I mean, in your mid to late 30s. I mean, you won Boston at 39, made the Olympic team at age 40. Um, a lot of masters runners will look at that and be inspired by it. What advice would you give to those older runners who want to continue performing at a high level? Well, uh, you know, as I talked in my book, Metal Mortals, it's always good to be able to be consistent. You know, the secret to success is mileage in, mileage in, mileage in. And you don't want to, especially as masters, if you started late in your career, don't jump, don't overdo it. Uh, make a gradual progress. And if you have to take a day off and run four days a week or and things like that, build up a base, a good base. And for me, Coming back from high school, 5K, I mean, a mile, two mile, 5K, 10K. I'm not surprised I PR'd in my late 30s because I wasn't the guy that was running 100 miles a week in high school or college. I slowly, Coach Larson, I slowly kind of made the progress to be in the 70s, in the 80s, you know, in the 90s, and then 100. And, you know, when I, when I was doing marathon training, I was going 100, 130, but you know, that was only as a marathoner versus as a 5K, 10K guy. So there was a lot of room to grow. And for me, it was just be the best that I can be in the mile, two mile, 5K, 10K. And then once I made 2009 was when I made that, okay, I'm going to be a marathon. I admit it, you know, you want to be the fastest guy in the 5K or 10K as, as, as long as you can. And then it was, and then I tried to balance it the 5K, 10K and marathon, 10K and marathon. But and then I made a decision, thanks to talking to your donors. It's like, you already have the American record. What do you got to prove, you know? <laughs> uh, but you have won a major marathon. If you focus your energy for that, I think it could be good. And having those discussions with uh, your donors on my, my mentor, Bob Larson, kind of made that transition a lot easier. And that's why I had the best 
my best marathons came in late because I was more prioritizing training for a marathon versus going back and forth between uh, 5K, 10K into the marathon. So one goal and be the best marathon I can be. And I'm so happy that it came true. You didn't move up to the marathon until later on in your competitive career. What would you advise runners now who are in their early to mid-20s who are thinking about jumping to the marathon or may have already jumped to the marathon? Would you tell them to to go with it at an early age and kind of you know, take your licks and learn from it and gradually continue to improve? Or would you encourage them to stay at the shorter distances and wait until they move up? I mean, I like the way it worked out really well for me, so I'm a little biased uh, to be able to go use your speed because I always did 20-mile run when we were at UCLA, even though, you know, you put 45 or 50 miles, those four or five, four or five days, and then 20, 20 miles for 10K, uh, adds up to, you know, 70 to 80 miles a week. But if you can do that, I think that long run is always nice uh, to be able to keep your uh, stamina high. and then. Use speed because speed, if you can build up speed, speed, speed for 5K, 10K, half marathon, that's only going to make the marathon, you know, uh, pace a lot more easier, a lot more comfortable. And then you just pump up your long runs as, as you get older and you'll be okay. But I would say, I don't, I don't say just if you're 19 or 22 or 23, jump to the marathon. I said, no, take your time, emphasize in the 5K and 10K and half marathon, and then eventually make a, your way to the marathon. Be, you know, some people have gone the myth was if you go marathon, you lose your speed, obviously, from uh, Paula Radcliffe and Heidegger Rosalas and others have done those. And uh, at the end of, toward the end of the career, back and forth, but I wouldn't do that from early stage. Do you believe that you lose your speed when you train for the marathon? Do you have to lose your speed or can you maintain it to some degree? No, I don't think you can lose your speed uh, if you do a marathon. You just got to make sure you recover. And I still do 200s I, until even the last, my last marathon, 200 and 400 repeats uh, the week before or a week, a week, uh, week and a half out. And I could run 29 seconds and I could run close to 60 or 58 seconds for 400 meters. So you just don't want to do that in the middle of 130 miles a week. You know, otherwise, if you do a strategy, really well saying, hey, my repeat, I'd always done my repeats when I was a 5K runner or 10K runner or half marathon and marathon. You just, the quality of speed kind of varies a little bit, but, uh, you know, if you run the 4.15s, the 4.10s, and then you're going to be great ready for 5K and 10K, whereas if you're doing the 4.20s or 4.30s, you're going to be great, uh, definitely going to be ready for a marathon. So going faster in race pace, and even in the 4.20s, uh, training for a marathon is going to make five minutes very nice. I spent a lot of time with you throughout the course of your career. I've always been impressed by your focus and discipline as it relates to whatever you're doing, whether, you know, you're training, whether you're eating, whether it's body work or you're getting ready for a speech, you know, whatever it may be, you're meticulous and deliberate with almost everything that you do. Where does that come from? Well, it comes down to a detailed student and also coming from a large family. You know, we have to have a lot of communication and dialogue and, you know, deliver messages. And for me, I'm trying to deliver a message through to my body, whether I eat uh, nutritionally or hydration or crush training or just the mileage itself. Or uh, even now when I get ready for speeches and things like that, it's just like 
let me know ahead of time. Give me two weeks ahead of time. I don't like to cram things in the last minute. That's never been me. That's, <laughs> I, you know, when I had high school or college, I used to do my papers two, three weeks out. Then, you know, I don't like last minute. I, you know, some people get claustrophobic. I get, if it's deadline comes and I haven't done it yet, I, I get paranoid. <laughs> so I, I'm not functional that way. So I'm a planner. That's why I think uh, from early stage of my childhood, you know, we, we didn't have a lot, so you have to plan what clothes you're going to wear or what are you going to do instead of just, hey, I'm going to pick this one today. No, you have to do your laundry. You have to make sure you have everything set for your, what you're going to wear, what you're going to have for school, and also that translates to life. So my meticulous uh, comes uh, from, uh, I guess, uh, rough rough growing up, and but also when you have the tools to organize, I love doing lists and having goals because goals drive you gives you hope and hopes hopefully can make you work hard and and hopefully deliver at the end of the day. In terms of goal setting, how do you, or how have you approached that? Did you approach that throughout your career? Would you sit down at the beginning of the year and say, this is what I would like to do for the next 12 months? Or was that something that just evolved for you as the year went on? I mean, how far into the future would you look and how often would you adjust your goals along the way? I think goal setting is huge and very important to be a successful person. And for me, I make weekly and monthly and yearly, but I like to cross the weekly out and then go through the monthly and then, and then to the year. But at the beginning of the year, I usually have just like a new year resolution. I'll have, have goals that are what I want to accomplish, whether it is, Hey, I want to break the American record at 10 K and, I didn't say about a lot. I just said, I just want to go one second below that, you know, <laughs> and, and those keeps you going. And, you know, and you have intermediate goals to say, Hey, I want to run a 5k at this pace. And then, you know, is that, is that going toward the mayor to the 10k goal? And at the same time, Hey, it's Olympic year. What I want to do with my life and what I want to do with my goals and say, Hey, I want to, I want to be able to make in the 10 K and marathon Olympic team. And so once you make that, and then you make say, Hey, I want a medal for our country. I think I have a, able to finish in the top 10 or in the top five. And you know, it's competition. Sometimes you, you even sell goals while you're competing, you know, say, you know what? You know, I was hoping to go for a medal, but I want to, it's not going to happen. So I'm going to, I want to be the top American and he fight for that spot as hard as he can, especially with Abdi and Cooper. Those days were, <laughs> you know, challenging and, uh, competitive, uh, and pick. And then sometimes you just say, Hey, I want to be able to accomplish this financial status by the time I am 25 or by the time I'm 30. And those are long-term goals that you kind of put it on paper. And I was always, I always keep a journal or, and stuff and I would used to write those things down and from the athletic from academics and, and and life in general. We haven't talked at all really about Boston 2014 to this point, but for you obviously biggest win of your professional career but also probably the most meaningful because of what had happened there the year before. How often do you think about that day and what I guess what role does it still play in your life today? Oh, I mean, the Boston 2014 is a epic moment for my career and who, who got me the name Meb, I guess, at the end of the day, you know, uh, you know, you do so many things that you hope that, you know, 
their day will come. But for me, you know, people say, hey, the Olympics are bigger. No, yeah, I've been an Olympian four times and my my title comes of meaningful victory or the victory or what greater purpose was the Boston Marathon. You know, you know, sometimes I was just earlier thinking, you know, in the Olympics, I'm just another number to to the organization or to New York. I have a close relationship and that has been lasting for a long time. But when it comes to the Boston Marathon, you know, that was it for me, you know, and I hope to be affiliated with them for a long time. But you have to talk about 2013 before you can take 2014. And, you know, I sent uh, Ryan Hall a text right after the the men's winner. I was there for four hours plus uh, through the race. And then uh, the catastrophic happened. And then Bonnie Ford from ESPN asked me that day if I'm going to come back to support the race. I said, I have to be here. I have to support them. And, uh, and, but I hope to be healthy enough to win it. So there's constant dialogue, dialogue that you have the desire and want. And every time you travel to different places in Austin, you know, they wear the B hat or they wear Austin strong shirt and things like that. You constantly remind us, like, I want to do that. I want to do that. And then when the Red Sox wanted, um, put the finish, the trophy, the finish line, he said, this, I want to do that on Patriots Day. So you have constant dialogue and, you know, and 2014, and it all came for me. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I didn't think I was going to come back to Boston. I think it was going to be one more last Boston race, my last one. And I listened to a lot of music like Eminem and One Shot went up to give it all I have. And whatever happens, happens. And, and then, you know, usually I'm, I'm not a risk taker. Usually uh, I'm a very conservative guy, but at my, my five, I saw the Ethiopians in, uh, trying to slow it down. I, I kind of, there's a picture of me bumping into somebody. And I just got mad. I just went between them and then took off. You know, I, found, I came with three goals to run a personal best, top three, or win. And if I'm going to do that, I'm going to put it on the line. It happens what happens. And then once I made that move at five miles with 21 miles to go, uh, you know, it's a very risky. But sometimes you got to take a risk in life. And if you believe in yourself, and I always believe I could run 207, 208 in Boston. I always believe that I just never materialized. The best time should have been 2006. But, you know, I made a foolish mistake going too fast. But within that time, 2014, I didn't go out of, like, abnormal pace. Uh, pace. I just kept going consistent and kept looking at my watch. And But I get I got in the zone. I don't remember going to the halfway point. You talk about athlete windows. I don't remember it at all. Uh, but, you know, and then I had the victims' names um, from Martin, Crystal, Sean, and Link. I'm um, the door inspiration. I wrote that night, the night before. And went for it and I was carrying there for a sense of purpose and I just said God give me the strength and give me the energy and the crowd was also fascinating and kept pushing me kept pushing me and uh, I didn't know how much lead I had but I know I had a lead and you know I just kept looking I tried to look back a few times but it's point point courses in the turn so I just you know people chanting USA USA and go go and I'm like go USA getting into it you know <laughs> but at the same time saying hey concentrate on the race be in the moment concentrate you can do that afterward and I was was, was very able to hold off and uh was such a bed and be able to be in the uh, the the only thing that was missing in my resume going to that race was to win the Boston Marathon and I was the 19th fastest guy had less than one percent chance and uh, the stacked field the number one and number two ranked in the world I don't think I ever ranked in the top ten in the marathon before maybe 2009 but you know I'm not the guy the, that have run fast and that's how the ranking comes but you know I'm a championship guy and it all came together for me and I was able to hold them off. Uh, 
and be able to win the, uh, the victory and follow us. And including the 36,000 people that were behind me that wanted to change something positive from the bombing on Burleson Street. And uh, what a gratifying moment it was to be able to just people be able to pull the victory for all of us. You just touched on something that I want to talk a little bit more about. After you won that race, you told me it was championship style, and I don't think anyone has ever been as consistent as me in those types of races. Why do you think that is? I think the big consistent, you have to think in the moment, and you have to be peak at the right time. And you have to have the thinking cap. And people think you just run and run and run. I wish it was that simple. But also many details from the drills I remember doing, doing showing you with that when we were at the Olympic Training Center or the core workout that I used to do and the crunches. I didn't think if I, if I had, you know, sometimes you wonder, oh, am I doing this, uh, the right things? But it came a big dividend for me because, you know, as you get late part of the race, you, your, your form breaks. You're, you're hunching, your arms are not as we should be, but I think doing all those details kind of helped me be as strong as possible, as uh, uh, tall as possible, as strong as possible, and come to the finish line. It helped me carry me through it. But I think it's just, uh, you know, you got to do small things that make a big difference. And sometimes you question those, unless it's raining or snow, and I don't skip my my drills and all those other things. But at the same time, these guys have got to go out there and get the best out of yourself. And that's what I did. A few more questions for you. There's a lot of negative chatter about the sport these days, how it's governed, doping stuff and the like. But there's a lot to be excited about, too. So now that you're retired, what's exciting you about the sport of running today? I think that what excited me about the sport of running is, you know, Records are made to be broken, and there's a lot of people going toward that route. And you always question yourself, then there's a red flag. I know are those records been set clean? And if they're clean, and, uh, you know, are they, you know, they're clean, then we're doing them. But if they're not clean, and then are those people clean now? So those are the things that are questionable. But, you know, I just try to be the best that I can for me is with integrity. You go out there, if somebody trained harder than me, they deserve to win. If I train harder than them and I'll smart them on race day, then I'm going to get, I'm going to get you. But I think the best about competition is, Hey, when you have somebody so consistent or all over the place, you know, we get, we humans, we're not automotive, you know, automatic, you know, we have, I even, I was one of the consistent person. I had my share of falls, you know, whether it's, Incidents and the training, you know, when you put 100 miles a week, whether it's dog incident or you tweak an ankle, you tweak an Achilles, you know, but when you show up to the big races ready every time, then I have to question it. And then if you are always also up and down, up and all over the place, I have to question that. Uh, um, but, you know, it's exciting to be able to, you know, be on the sideline to be able to see, hey, who's, who's, who's got it all now? Who's going to be the next person? And to be able to represent, especially for the United States, the next person to represent us. And who is that for you in the U.S. right now, specifically? Who? I mean, I think there's a lot of great guys in the 5K and 10K. Uh, in the marathon, uh, it's still a little bit of a challenge, <laughs> you know, uh, because there's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of speculation and there's a investigation and all those things. Uh, we haven't got one in the marathon, I don't think, yet. But, you know, even though I'm excited on the on the women's side, though, you know, we have with Shalane and with uh, Amy uh, and 
you know, so many others. Uh, Molly Hado now started, you know, not started doing Boston. It's pretty exciting. There's so many others that are going, but on the men's, we definitely have a, a little bit more work to do on that. I think the the women's trial is going to be crazy in 2020. <laughs> so, since you're not racing Boston this year and it's coming up a few weeks from now, let's talk about the race. Uh, strong American fields on both sides, men's and women's. Who do you like? Well, Boston 2018 is going to be exciting on the women's part. I think it's going to be because now, you know, I think Molly Hado is, uh, I think she could, I've always, maybe I always said, I think she can be the person and, but I always believe in Shalane as well. And uh, I think Shalane did her thing and now it's going to be that. And, uh, uh, I mean, Hase is there, but at the same time, I think it's exciting. I mean, that's, that's, I can't wait to see it. I'm going to be running actually the Boston marathon. Um, uh, in three hours and an honorary member of the MR8. So on the fifth anniversary, I got really close with, uh, uh, Bill Richards and Denise Richards. So they, I always tell them, you know, my wife and I, my ear and I met them in 2014. Uh, all I said is, you know, we, we can pray for you. We'll give you a hug, but we can't, you know, Sada, my daughter was eight years old at the time and I cannot even imagine. But if there's anything that we can do, let us know. And, uh, you know, they reached out to say if I could wear his jersey. And, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I was thinking of, you know, I was having a trouble in Boston 2017. I was having issues at 13. I'm like, how did this charity people do this thing? And I'm trying to get a finish. And I signed up for another marathon. I can't believe I'm signing. I, I already signed up <laughs> for New York. I wanted to pull out so bad. <laughs> but, you know, for you do for a greater purpose now that when they reach out to me and, uh, and I'm honored to be able to be, I remember uh, MR8 uh, come uh, in, in uh, about four weeks. What have you learned in the last few years as you've connected with more of the mid, middle and back of the Packers, paced some of these groups and just generally spent more time with, you know, the average runner? Do you see more similarities between yourself and them than you do differences or is anything that you've learned about the average runner surprised you at all? I think the only difference that we have is the clock. Other than that, I think, you know, whether you run 210 or you run 355 or four hours, all the same journey. Uh, you know, you have dots. <laughs> you're going to make it, you're not going to make it. You know, you are always not sure if you're making, should, should you be aggressive at the beginning or not be. And, uh, and also the struggle, you know, you, I'll walk funny the next day. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter if you've gone in two hours and 20 minutes or five hours they're like oh this is stuff so as i connect with them it's just appreciation and they're like i can't believe you, you feel the same thing that i feel is what they tell me you know when i have time to talk to them now it's like you're gonna be people always says you know you'll be showered you'll be cleaned up by the time i'm done but you know i've always been busy with the press conferences and uh, drug testing and things like that and i tell them no sometimes you know, I tell people I, I might run the race, but I didn't even get back to my room until 10 p.m., you know, <laughs> and maybe a five minute change and then go. But at the same time, they, they speak, uh, the the anticipation is or the speculation is that, hey, you know, you don't work, you work hard, but you only work about two hours and 10 minutes and hours, you know, whatever our abilities is gender differences, age differences and training purposes or training abilities. Uh, we struggle and, you know, some marathon can be fun when you win in or when you place in top three. But other than that, I think is 
you always question, why am I doing it for her? But thank God for short memory and you come back, keep doing it and doing it. But, uh, you know, we all have different goals, whether we want to make an Olympic team or they want to qualify for Boston. And it's very similar because you have to earn to be there and they work as well, you know, within our capabilities. Last question. Your racing days might be over, but your work as a figurehead in the running world is far from finished. What would you like your legacy to be or how would you like to be remembered? Well, I'm honored to be able to have accomplished all my running uh, goals, uh, but I am grateful for the people that have supported me. And uh, I mean, sometimes you hear that I drove seven hours to meet you or I was in L.A. says, I am not running, but I just know you're going to be here to be able to meet you and things like that. And God knows how long we drive or and people have come from different states to be able to do that. And, uh, you know, I just want to be a positive example and uh, hopefully adore uh, somebody who does things versus talk about it and never accomplish. And I like to be realistic. I'm a realistic person and uh, genuine, hopefully, to be able to be the best that I, human that I can be. And hopefully that's what people will remember saying, hey. Yeah, my time's, you know, somebody else going to win and Austin, another medal or New York. But hopefully I, I, hope to be, I, hope, I hope to be a complete person of, of a balance. I try to live by my name, maintain excellent balance, and I hope to do that for the rest of my life. And I try to do that every day of my life and not just uh, when the camera is on. That's a good place to end it. Meb, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Marius. Always good to visit with you. And, uh, Morning shakeout is, you know, you got to get, you got to get it done in the morning because if you don't do it in the morning, there's so many other things that come. So I'm on that program. Get it done in the morning. <laughs> and that's it for this episode of the Morning Shakeout podcast. If you enjoyed it and want to support the show, it only takes a few seconds to do so. Head over to Apple Podcasts or whatever player you used to listen in today and leave a rating and a review. Simple as that. It helps other listeners find the show, which in turn grows the audience, which helps me to continue bringing on great guests for you to learn from and be inspired by on a near weekly basis. If you'd like to support my work directly, you can do so via Patreon at patreon.com slash the morning shakeout. Many thanks to all of you who have already made a monthly donation. It helps me to continue producing not only this show, but also my weekly newsletter of the same name, which comes out every Tuesday morning. And for those of you who had no clue that I even had a weekly newsletter, get on it. You can subscribe at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe, and you will receive a weekly email from me. It comes out on Tuesday mornings. I write about running and a whole slew of other interesting topics, and I really think you'll enjoy it. That's all I got. So until next time, I'm Mario Fraioli, and thank you for listening to my podcast.